wish that Christmas lasts forever Wrap the world in snowy white Everyone could be together Staying warm around the fire It's a picture-perfect moment Every ornament in place Sweet as cinnamon and sugar Knowing Santa is on his way Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you who are in the room, and of course, those of you guys who are joining us on live stream. We just want to extend a very special welcome to you as well. Thanks for being with us here at Grace. And uh, man, the Christmas season is upon us, and so we are actually in the second week together of a Christmas series that we're in that's called Beyond a Season. And of course, we're just using this as an opportunity to just press our minds and our hearts down in a fresh way of the significance and the importance of what it is that we're celebrating this season, what it is that we're celebrating uh, that Christ came to be with us, that God himself came to be with us, and uh, just such an amazing truth. And today, um, as we jump into today's message, I actually thought maybe a good place to start would be to have you think about this with me for a minute. So I just want to ask you, if can you guys think of a time, maybe even the last time, somebody did something that was so unexpected, it was so not what you were anticipating, uh, that it really threw you off guard, that it was something that seemed, that you just weren't expecting it, and it just seemed so bizarre to you. And um, so the reason I asked you that question is actually because I had something like that happen to me uh, several years ago. In fact, I gotta tell you this story that I'm gonna tell you is maybe one of the most bizarre, unexpected things I've ever witnessed in my life. And it actually happened here, it happened at the church, and so what happened, I think it was about three or four years ago, um, it was midweek here at the church, and I had an early morning meeting with someone. I was going to meet with, meet with somebody out here at the church. And so I got here first, and it was early in the morning, and I was waiting for, uh, for the person I was meeting with to arrive. So I was uh, sitting in the cafe, and I was looking out the front windows and just kind of waiting for this person to arrive. And as I was looking out the windows, um, I saw this car pull into our parking lot. And uh, it was a pretty nice car. I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it was a luxury sedan of some kind, a very, very nice car. And uh, pulled into our driveway, light, light colored car. It was a white car that pulled into our driveway. And so I'm, I'm just kind of watching this, just kind of passively observing. And the car pulls up and parks um, kind of in the front, sort of in the front of the parking lot here. And so I'm watching this. And then out of the car, this gentleman, this older gentleman gets out of the car. Now, I don't recognize him. He's not the person that I'm meeting with. I'm fairly certain he doesn't go to our church because I'm not sure who he is. So he gets out and I thought, huh, I wonder what this guy's doing. I wonder, wonder, wonder why he's here. And so he proceeds to get out of the car and he walks around to the back of the car and he opens the trunk. All right, now I just wanna ask you this. If you were the one observing this, okay, if you were watching this transpire, nice car, luxury car, pools, early morning, older gentleman gets out and opens the trunk, what do you expect is gonna happen next? All right, now, I'll just tell you the way I think. I'm expecting he's gonna pull something out of the trunk. You know, I'm guessing what he's gonna do is he's probably gonna get a briefcase out of the trunk, or he's gonna get a computer bag out of the trunk, or maybe even like a box of things that he wants to donate to one of our church initiatives, or something like that. Like, that's what I would've, that, that wouldn't have surprised me. But what happened next was so unexpected 
Quite honestly, it might have been one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. He opens his trunk, and I kid you not, out of his trunk flies a flock of birds. And I don't, I don't mean like a couple. I mean a flock of birds, 30 maybe. Birds fly out of the trunk of this luxury car. And, 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 and you might be asking, what kind of birds were they? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for this moment. And he opens it, and I immediately jumped to my feet. And I was like, what in the world was that? What just happened? And so I was like, I got to find out. So I go, I, I go outside. I'm like, I got to go outside. So I, I get up, and I go to the front doors. By the time I got to the front doors, he had already gotten back in his car, and he drove away. And I thought to myself, you're going to leave me with this mystery for the rest of my life. I have no idea what happened. And, I, and the reason I, I wanted to grab him and I wanted to talk to him so badly isn't because I was upset or anything. It's just because I just wanted to find out why. I wanted to ask him, why did you do that? I wanted to ask him, what was the reason or the reasoning behind that action? What was it that motivated you to wake up this morning and say, you know what I need to do? I need to get this flock of birds in the back of my car and drive to the, to the Medina East Campus of Grace and let them go. And I was just like, I just want to know why. And so, so why do I tell you that story? All right, here's why I tell you. Uh, actually, it's two reasons. First off, if you have any information on a guy who's releasing birds, I'm just, I'm just interested. That's all. I just, I'm like, why? But here, here's the bigger reason. The second reason I tell you that story is because we're in the series right now, right? And our series, like we said, is called Beyond a Season. And in this series, what we're doing is we're taking time to press our minds and our hearts down on the incredible realities and implications of Christmas, of the Christmas story. But I gotta tell you guys something, that this time of year, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, this time of year, um, me personally and for us as a church, I always have a fear this time of year. And one of my fears is this, is that familiarity can oftentimes breed indifference. I have this fear that, quite honestly, I think for most of us, if not all of us, even if you're not a church person, we are so familiar with the Christmas story. We know it. And even if you didn't grow up in church, we know the story of Jesus's birth. We sing it in songs that we hear. You've probably seen shows about it. And so it's no surprise to us that Christmas happened the way that it did. But, but here's my fear. My fear is that sometimes we're so familiar with the Christmas story that it actually loses the shock value of how unexpected, of how unanticipated Christmas really is. I don't know if you guys ever thought about this before, but did you ever think about how absolutely crazy it is that when God chose to send his son into this world, that he chose to do it the way that he did? That when God chose to send the Messiah, that he opted for the way that he approached it. I mean, just for example, just think about it. We're all familiar with the Christmas story. What town was Jesus born in? What was the little town that Jesus was born in? Tell me, what was it? Bethlehem. We all know that. We're familiar with that. That's not a surprise to you. That's not a shock to you. We actually just sang about it just a minute ago in the first song that we sang here today. We mentioned the town of Bethlehem. But man, did you guys ever just stop and think about how absolutely unexpected it would be? that when God decided to bring his king, the one who would ultimately be the king of the world into, into the human story, that he was born into this podunk little city, this podunk little town of Bethlehem. I mean, not into Rome and not into Jerusalem, not into anything that was notable or anything that was a city that was of any prestige at all, 
but he was born into Bethlehem. Or what about this? We all know that when Jesus was born, he was born into a manger. We know that. Uh, by the way, I actually think this is kind of funny. Yesterday, you know, we have services on Saturday night, just in case any of you want to come. We have services on Saturday. And um, I actually had a typo on here, and it said manager, which is interesting. So Jesus wasn't a manager, but he was born in a manger. And we all know that, right? We're all familiar with that. That's not a surprise. You probably have a nativity set somewhere in your house that reflects this truth. But did you guys ever think about how absolutely unexpected it would be that when God himself is going to step into the human story, that he is born into such a humble means? Or what about this? We all know that when God decided to announce the arrival of the Messiah, that the first people that he went to was the shepherds. He didn't go to the dignitaries. He didn't go to the noble people. He announced first to the shepherds, the shepherds who, man, some of you guys know this, the shepherds who were considered social outcasts at that time. Why would he do it this way? Why would he do it? The family that Jesus was born into, he was born to a virgin teenager, Mary, who at that time wasn't married to a carpenter named Joseph. This was the family structure that Jesus was born into. And again, these are all things we're so familiar with, but I just, I just, wanna, I just want you to think about this with me for a minute, is how, how unexpected is it that God would do it this way? And the question that I want us to think about here today with the time that we have is I just wanna simply think about this question. Why? Why Why did God do it this way? Why the humility of Christmas? Why would he, I mean, honestly, God could do it however he wanted to. He could, but he chose to do it this way. What was the reason or the reasoning behind the way that we see Christmas transpire? What was it that motivated God to act in these ways? Because can I just tell you guys something I believe? I believe that God doesn't do anything randomly, that everything that God does is for a purpose and it's according to his will. And so my question is, why did he do it the way that he did it? And so for the, the little time that we have here together, I actually just wanna consider some of the reasons of why God would have done Christmas the way that he has done Christmas. Now, there's a lot of reasons, I'm sure, probably more than we can span in one sermon and certainly more than I can probably comprehend. But I wanna look at a passage today that I think is gonna show us two things. It's gonna to reveal to us two things. And here's what I want us to see, is that the humility of Christmas, the, the reason God did it this way, is because first, it displays the heart and mind of God. Why did God do it this way? I think we're gonna see, is because God wanted us to understand something about his heart and his mind, about who he is. But not only that, number two, the humility of Christmas, I believe, defines the heart and the mind of God's people. For those of us who follow Jesus, which I know is not everybody here today, but for those of us who follow Christ, I think that Christmas doesn't just reveal to us God's heart and mind, but it also instructs our heart and our mind. So I wanna think about those things. The passage I wanna take us to this morning is actually in Philippians chapter two. So if you got your Bible, why don't you open them up? Let's open together. We're gonna to go to Philippians chapter two here this morning. If you did not bring a Bible with you, uh, Philippians two is gonna be found on page 951 in the Bibles under the chairs. So feel free to make use of those. And let me just say, we say this all the time, but if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, we would love for you to have one. Okay, so you can take that home, make it a gift from us to you, Merry Christmas, and we'd love for you to have that. So Philippians 2 is where we're gonna go. Now, as you're finding Philippians 2, I wanna kind of just uh, preface this a little bit by telling you that what we're about to read in Philippians 2 is actually the Christmas story. Philippians 2 actually contains the Christmas story within it. However, what you're gonna see is that this Christmas story in Philippians 2 is actually really different than the Christmas stories we're accustomed to. 
So usually when we look at the Christmas story, we look at the Gospel of Luke or we look at the Gospel of Matthew. And those Christmas stories, they start, they begin from an earthly vantage point. So they usually begin with Jesus in a manger. They begin in Bethlehem. They usually start from there. But I want you to know that in Philippians 2, you're gonna see the Christmas story, but instead of being told from the earthly vantage point, it's actually gonna be told from the heavenly vantage point. So you can kind of think about it this way. Philippians 2 is almost like Christmas behind the scenes. What was happening on a heavenly, from a heavenly perspective in Christmas? I think we're gonna see that here in Philippians 2. So let's jump in. We're gonna look beginning in verse five. And here's what it says. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. All right, so let, let me just hit pause there for a second. So I want you to get this. This is a guy named the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to a church in a place called Philippi. And he says to these Christians, he says, in your relationships with each other, he says, you need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to in this verse. Notice that there is a colon here. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that whatever he's about to say next is going to reveal and is going to display something to us. And what is it, and this is so critical, I don't want you to miss this. What is it that he's about to say that's going, what is it going to reveal to us? What is it gonna display to us? Now look, it says right here. What he's about to say is intended to show us, look at this, the mindset of Jesus Christ. It's intended to show us not just something that Jesus did, but it's intended to show us how Jesus thought. What was his logic? What was it that motivated him? Why did he do what he did? And the Bible's gonna tell us, this is gonna show us the mindset of Christ Jesus. You guys, this is really critical. Some of you have different translations, and it might say this. It might say you should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. The word mindset or attitude is a really important word. I'll actually show it to you. In the original Greek language, it is the word phroneo, phroneo. Turn to your neighbor and say phroneo. Go ahead, give it a shot. Phroneo. And what does that mean? It means to be of a certain attitude or to be minded or disposed a certain way. Or if I could give it more clarity, I, I love this definition. According to one dictionary, a person's mindset is a person's habitual or characteristic mental attitude that determines how they interpret and how they respond to situations. What is your mindset? Here's what your mindset is. Your mindset is, is your habitual, that is, this is the way that you commonly think, characteristic mental attitude that determines how you interpret and how you respond to any given situation. What this passage is gonna to reveal to us is not just something that Jesus did, but it's gonna to reveal to us the way that Jesus views things. How does Jesus think? It's gonna show us the heart and the mind of God is what we're gonna see. And then he goes on and this next passage, this next segment of scripture is quite honestly one of the most breathtaking, one of the most breathtaking passages of scripture in all of scripture. And I just, I'm just gonna read the whole thing because it's so awesome. Here's what it says. To have the same mindset as Christ who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Now, like I said, this is a beautiful, very, very famous passage. It's actually sometimes called the kenosis. Maybe you've heard that before. That's just a way of saying, that's actually the Greek word for emptying. This passage is called the emptying. Jesus emptied himself. And I actually want you to notice something. Some of you guys have your own Bible in front of you. And you might notice if you glance at it that this passage I just read to you is indented or is formatted differently. You might notice that. You might be saying, why is it like that? Why is this indented or formatted differently? Well, the reason is because it's actually thought that the segment that I just read to you was actually a song, that it actually was a hymn, that it was something that the early church had memorized and they would sing to one another. It actually was an early confession. This was such an important piece of theology that the early church memorized it and they would sing it to each other. And, and here's what I want you to see, is in this passage, what it reveals to us is it reveals to us a pathway that Jesus Christ took, a pathway that Jesus took. And this pathway, the apostle Paul is gonna tell us, reveals to us the very heart and the very mind of God. And what is that pathway? Well, maybe I can outline it this way. You're gonna notice that it actually begins with Jesus being in very nature God. This is how it starts. Look at verse six. That's exactly how it begins. Jesus being in very nature God. You know, like I told you guys earlier, this passage actually tells us the Christmas story, but it starts in a very different place. It doesn't start with Jesus in a manger. It doesn't start in Bethlehem with a baby. Where does it begin? It begins with Jesus in his truest form. And who is Jesus? Jesus is in very nature God. Listen, I, I don't know uh, where you're at in your exploration of your faith and what you believe about Jesus, but I think it's really important that you understand this, that according to scripture, Jesus didn't begin at Christmas. According to scripture, Jesus himself is in very nature God. This is something you're gonna see all throughout the pages of scripture. I'll just give you a couple examples. Hebrews chapter one says it this way, that Jesus, the son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Uh, the book of Colossians is gonna say it this way, Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity, which means God, lives in bodily form. So Philippians is gonna start, and what's it gonna tell us that of who Jesus truly is? That Jesus is in very nature God himself. But then it's gonna go on, and it's gonna say this. It's gonna say, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So what's this passage doing us? It's, it's helping us see the mind of God, the heart of God. And what is the mind of God? Well, here's how God thinks. He sees his privileges, he sees his position, and rather than clinging to his privileges and positions for his own sake, he chooses instead to release those things. This is the mind of God. And what does he do? The Bible says that he is now going to step down, he's going to step down and make himself nothing Literally, the word there is he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So the Bible's gonna tell us that Jesus takes a step of humility. How does Jesus think? He humbles himself, and he steps from very nature God into human likeness. You guys, right here in two verses, catch this, right here in two verses is Christmas. This is the Christmas story. What do we say at Christmas? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. This is exactly what he's saying, that God himself has stepped into human likeness. But I want you to notice, not only, not only does Jesus take a step down into human likeness, it actually tells us that he lowered himself even further. 
Because it, doesn't, it tells us not just that Jesus became a human, it tells us what kind of human Jesus became. Do you know what it says? It says that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Not only did he lower himself to become a human, what kind of human did he become? He took on the position of a servant. Listen, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but if Jesus simply stepped down from in very nature God to a human of the highest degree of dignity and royal importance, that still would be the most infinite act of humility that the world has ever seen, right? If Jesus would have stepped from in very nature God to a king in a palace with servants who surrounded him, if that's the situation that he was born into, that still would be the greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. If Jesus would have stepped from in very nature God to the Oval Office, if he would have stepped from in very nature God to a mansion in Dubai, that still would have been the greatest act of humility that the world has ever seen, but he wasn't born into the lap of luxury. Jesus wasn't even born into the comfortable middle class. He was born into a lowly position, and his life, many of you know, was marked by servanthood. Even Jesus said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to seek and save that which is lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus lowers himself. He, takes, he goes from in very nature God to human likeness to be a servant, but I want you to notice Philippians is gonna say if that's not low enough, he goes lower still because Christmas was only the beginning of his life, but you're gonna see that as he grows, he eventually goes to a place where he's found an appearance as a man and he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death. Jesus subjected himself to the place of even death, but not just death, even lower still. Look what it says, even death on cross, even death on a cross. You guys, if in very nature God is the ultimate height, then the cross would be the utmost low. It would be the utmost low. Back in this time, the cross would have been the most despicable. It would have been the most humiliating way, the most undignified way that a person could be killed would have been the cross. And, and this passage is going to tell us the great heights from which Jesus came and that, listen, on his own accord, nobody made him do this. No one forced it upon him. On his own accord, he emptied himself all the way to the point of even death on the cross. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that this right here doesn't simply display to us what Jesus did. It actually shows us the pattern of how he thinks. This is the attitude and the mindset of God himself. This is what he takes upon himself. You guys, you know what I think? I think what this reveals to us, quite honestly, I think it reveals to us what we actually mean when we say that God loves you. You guys, I'm sure you guys have heard that before, right? Even if you're a person who didn't grow up in the church, my guess is you've probably heard people say that God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And that's true, that's so true. But listen, let's just be honest. The way that we use the word love today, it's such a vague word that it barely means anything anymore. Usually when we talk about love, we're like, oh, we should love everybody. We should love, every God loves everybody. And usually what we mean is, is just some kind of vague sense of undefined, like warm affection towards people, like good vibes. Like God, God loves everyone. Like we should have good vibes towards each other. But listen, what this is showing us is it's helping define what does it really mean when we say that God loves you. Because look at this. What this tells us is it tells us that God's love is not a standoffish love. His love, God, God didn't just stand at the, at the top of the steps of heaven and shout down to all of us, 
hey, I love you guys. Good luck with all your problems and such. He wasn't, it wasn't a standoff. It wasn't just like, I'm gonna be sending you good vibes from heaven. That's not what it was. He didn't just, listen, he didn't just stand at the top of the stairs of heaven and send resources to us. He didn't just write a check and say, here, that'll help you with your problems. That's not what he did. The Bible's gonna tell us that his love is one where he sent his own son and he stepped into humanity. He entered into the mess and took on human form to meet our greatest need and humbled himself even to the place of self-sacrifice for our good. Because this defines for us the kind of love that God has for us. And here's what I believe. I believe the distance between very nature God and the cross reveals to us the great magnitude of God's love for us. And I think that the distance between in very nature God and the cross, listen, I also think this, listen, I think this is so important. It also reveals your worth to him. It reveals how much you are worth, your value to him. You guys have probably heard this before, the old axiom, how do you know what something is worth? You guys have heard this, right? How do you know what something is worth? Here's how you know. Something is worth what someone is willing to pay. Something is worth what someone is willing to pay. Simple analogy here. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but do you know what the most valuable sports card, at least to date, is? Do you guys know what that is, the most valuable sports card? I don't know if you have a guess, but it actually, this actually uh, just recently happened in August of 2022. There was a card, it's a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle baseball, baseball card, mint condition. This sucker sold, get this, $12.6 million. It's, uh, it is the most, uh, most valuable piece of sports memorabilia that's out there. And, and listen, that is a very valuable card. That card is worth $12.6 million. Now, why can we say that that card is worth $12.6 million? Here's why. Because that's what someone paid. What someone is willing to pay is what something is worth. What is Christmas and what does Jesus, what does the great humbling of Christ show us? It reveals to us his great love for us, his heart and his mind, and it reveals our worth. And one of my favorite Christmas songs, I don't know if you, guys, uh, if you guys are into Christmas songs. I love Christmas songs. And I love Oh Holy Night. It's probably my favorite one. And there's one lyric that every time, every time we sing it, it just gives me the chills. And it's this line right here. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And I love that because you feel the desperation of it. You feel the hopelessness of it. But then in the very next line, until he appeared. And when he appeared, something happened. And I think what happened was we understood God's great commitment to us, but I think at the very same time, we understood our great worth. The soul felt, look at how far God has come to find us and to love us and to bring us back to himself. I think it reveals this to us. You guys, I think, put it another way, I think this helps us understand the kind of love that God is committed to giving to us. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but I've heard it said that every relationship operates under one of two frameworks. That every relationship is either a consumer relationship or it is a covenant relationship. So what's the difference? Well, a consumer relationship operates under this motto. Here's the motto. I will be what I should be to you as long as you are what you should be to me. Okay, this is a consumer or you could say a contractual relationship. I will do the thing that I should for you as long as you do the thing that you should do for me. But if you do not do the thing you should do for me, then I am not obligated to do the thing that I should do for you. But there's a different kind of relationship. There's a different kind of framework. And that's called a covenant relationship. And what is the motto of a covenant relationship? It's this. I will be what I should be to you 
even if you are not what you should be to me. That is a covenant relationship. And you guys, here's what I want you to understand. What we just read in Philippians reveals to us the kind of relationship that God wants to engage with us in. It is a covenant relationship, even in our sin and even in our failure and even in our inability to keep God's standards, God continues to give of himself for us. This is an unearthly kind of love. It is a covenant kind of love. And so again, I think we're gonna see that the humility of Christmas displays to us the heart and mind of God. How do we know how God thinks? How do we know how he loves? I think that we see it here. But secondly, and I think this is instructive to us, the humility of Christmas actually defines the heart and the mind of God's people. So for those of us who follow Jesus, this also is to be the mindset that we are to take into the relationships and into the spheres of relationships that we have around us. It's exactly what he says. Look at verse three, Philippians two, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others as above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with each other, have that same mindset that Jesus Christ had. Take that into the relationships that are around you. Now, I just wanna be clear here. I know some of you might read that and you might be thinking to yourself, well, now, wait a minute. Is this passage basically saying that I just need to make myself a doormat to people? Is that what this passage is saying? Is this passage saying that I should neglect my own needs to look out for the needs of other people? And I just wanna be clear, I don't actually think that's what this is saying. In fact, um, just to add clarity, in verse four, it says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I actually like the way the English Standard Version translates this better. The English Standard Version, I believe, is actually closer to what the meaning is in the original language. Here's what the English Standard Version says. It says, let each one of you look not only, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see what this is saying? It's not saying neglect your own needs. It's not saying make yourself a doormat. It's just saying think about other people and show interest in them in the same way that you take care of your own interests or your own needs. And so, and so what this is saying is it's saying, Paul is saying that we are to take this same mindset, this mindset that we just looked at. He said this is to, 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 to be what helps instruct this is to be the mindset that helps form the way that we think. It should shape how we interact in every relationship around us. Now, some of you might be asking, okay, well, practically speaking, what does that look like? Can you help me put some skin on it? What does it look like to take this pattern of thinking and import that into the way that I think and the way that I engage in the relationships around me? Well, let me just say, I think, there's, I think there's honestly a million applications to how this could play out, but I can give you a few examples. I'll just give you a few. I think, for those of us who follow Jesus, what this does is this instructs us in how we should interact in even, even the, the, the natural relationships in our pathway of life. When you guys think about your neighbors, the people who live around you, when you think about your coworkers, when you think about your classmates, the students in your school, how does, this, how does this way of thinking show up in those environments? Well, here's a few ways. I think one of the ways it shows up is it means that we are to take initiative. We're to take initiative. You see, what do you see here? You see that God is a God who takes initiative. Rather than waiting for us to work our way up to him and make our way to God, instead, this tells us that God is the one who left his comfort zone 
And he spanned, he spanned the universe to come and meet us on our turf to initiate a relationship with us. So what's that look like? Well, I think it looks like this. In our neighborhoods, we're the first ones to initiate a relationship. We're the first ones to leave our comfort zone, to cross the driveway, to cross the street, to initiate a handshake or to offer cookies or whatever. I think when we do that, we're actually, we're actually living out the very mindset of Jesus Christ. I think this shows up, one of the ways it shows up is how we show interest in other people. You know, one of the things that Jesus did, we see here, is that he himself stepped into our world. He put himself in our shoes. And I think in the same way, we can do that for other people. We can step into their world. We can put ourselves in their shoes. We can listen. We can ask questions and seek, seek to understand and empathize with what a person is going through. I think that in doing that, that's taking the very mindset of Christ and it's fleshing it out. You guys, I think one of the ways that this shows up, quite honestly, is it shows up in how we interact with each other here at church and in life groups. You know, for those of us who follow Jesus, did you guys know this? Our relationship with each other is supposed to be one that emulates a covenant relationship. And we just talked about that. What is a covenant relationship? A covenant relationship is I will do what I know is right for you, even if you do not do those things. Now, we're never gonna do that perfectly, but I think that that's what we're to be pursuing together as a community, is we're to live this out in the lives of each other. And so I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know that in the New Testament, there are over 60 one another commandments that are given to followers of Jesus, 60. Things like bear one another's burdens, things like confess your sins to one another, things like um, show grace to one another and, and, and make sure that you leave space for each other's failures. You guys, all of those things, I think, are motivated by what we see here. All of those things are things that Jesus has done for us. And if there's over 60 one another commandments, here's what that means for those of us who follow Jesus. It is impossible for us to be fully obedient to Jesus without having other people in our life. It is hard to one another without another. Right? If you want another yourself, that's awkward and weird, right? And so to be, to be engaged in the one another's is how this shows up, I think, in our lives. You guys, I think this shows up in the way that we interact in our community and in our world. What is it that would motivate us to say, we actually want to not just send resources to our community partners, but we actually wanna get involved. We actually wanna get our hands dirty and actually help and get in real relationships. What is it that would motivate someone to say, I actually wanna go onto the website and I wanna check out your holiday missions guide, ways that we can be involved in helping in our community this holiday season. Why would we do that? Well, the reason we do that is because that's what Jesus has done for us. He has entered into our life and our circumstance. You guys, this shows up in every relationship. And you guys, honestly, I think that this shows up even in the minutia, even in the nuances of life, even in places like, you guys ready for this? Even in like how we drive our cars. I think this is one of the ways that this can show up. Maybe this is just me, I'm guessing it's not, but can I just tell you that my natural disposition, my natural way of thinking when I'm behind the wheel is not to say I wanna lay aside my rights and look out for the interests of others and serve other people, even if it means making a small sacrifice, that's not the way I operate. So um, for example, hypothetically speaking, if I was in a scenario where I was driving in one lane and another person was driving in the lane next to me and their lane was going to end and they know it and I know it, 
And it's coming close to the time that they, and they want to get in front of me and they should have done that a while ago. <laughs> Can I just tell you the way I tend to think? My, my initial way of thinking is not to say, I should humble myself and I should consider the, I should let go of my rights and consider the needs of this person above my own and serve them. Usually my first thought is, I'm gonna cling to my rights, I'm gonna hold my place, and I'm going to punish you. And I'm going to speed up and slow down appropriately, <laughs> pretend like you're not there, and I don't see you, to make it as hard as possible for you to get in this lane, right? Anyone else? Am I preaching to the choir here? And I'm just saying, you guys, I think that that instinct inside of all of us reveals to us that this is not the way that we, int that we intrinsically think. And so what, it, what does Christmas help us do? I think what it does is it helps us take on the same mind and heart of God. Now, here's the paradoxical thing, you guys, and I, I wanna make sure you catch this. The crazy paradox is this, is that when we do this, when we empty ourselves for the sake of God and others, oddly and paradoxically, that is actually where true fulfillment is found. I want you to notice what it actually says right here in Philippians 2. It says, Jesus humbled himself, and then it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every other name. Do you guys see the math of what just transpired in this passage? Here's what this passage is telling us. It's saying that Jesus, Jesus humbled himself. This was what Jesus did. No one forced him to do this. He did it on his own accord. He emptied himself. And the Bible says that because he emptied himself, therefore God exalted him. And God exalted him to the highest place. And you guys, as, as perplexing as this passage is, it reveals to us an incredible biblical truth. And this truth is found all throughout scripture, but here it is. If we exalt ourselves, God will humble. But if we humble ourselves, God will exalt. And I'm telling you, this is all over the scripture. Jesus, look what Jesus said. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, what is he saying? What is Jesus saying? I think he's saying what many of us know. When we cling to selfishness and pride, we, a lot of us have experienced this, and if you haven't experienced it, you've probably witnessed it. When we cling to selfishness and pride, it leads to emptiness in this life. But when we empty ourselves for the sake of God and the sake of others, paradoxically, we actually find fulfillment. We find the fullness of life that God has desired for us. And so in this passage, we see, we see these two things, that the humility of Christmas displays the heart and mind of God, and it defines the heart and mind of God's people. Now, before we wrap up, there's one final thought that I gotta make sure I get to you. Because some of you are hearing this, and you're probably thinking, man, it's incredible to think about the great humility of Jesus Christ, and it's unbelievable to see that that is his heart and his mind. That's so cool. And then you might be thinking to yourself, and I see that I need to be like that too. And man, you're right, gosh, I'm just hearing you, and I need to humble myself more, and I'm not a very humble person, and, and you're right, I oftentimes think of myself, and I don't think of others. I need to get better at that, I really, really do. And some of you might be feeling that way, and you might be thinking, so I'm gonna go home this week, and I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be more humble this week than I was last week. I'm gonna try harder to make this work. And let me just say, I think that's actually a good thing. I think all of us would say, yeah, for sure, we have a lot of work to do in these areas. But I don't want you to go away without hearing this. And this is the truth, is we can't give what we haven't received. So, so for you just to go and just to try harder to be more humble, I'll be honest with you, it'll be a very frustrating endeavor. Because here's the truth. The truth is that you can't give this love to other people 
unless you first have received it and you've been transformed by it. This is exactly what Paul says, I think. If you look back at verse one, Paul says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and of mind. Notice he says, if, 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 if. It's interesting, in the original language, the, the tone that's being communicated there is one of certainty. A better translation would actually be since. He's talking to these Christians and he's saying, listen, since you're united with Christ, since you have comfort in his love, since you share in the spirit, since you have these things, you should have the same mind. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, you cannot give what you haven't received. You cannot give this love unless you have first received this love from God. And so the real question, I think, is this, is have you received? Have you received Jesus? Have you personalized this love? Have you taken it in yourself? And here's the good news. If you have never embraced Christ as the Lord of your life, if you have never welcomed him into your heart, you can do that right now. Christmas tells us that God did everything to make it possible for you to have a relationship with him. And all you have to do is open your heart to him and let him in. Let his love fill you. And as you're transformed by his love, it will transform the relationships around you. That's the band to come up. And as they do, um, I actually wanna end our time by giving you some space. I'd love to give you some space just to interact with God on some of the things that we've read and we've heard uh, in his word here today. So can I ask you guys to do this with me just in this moment? Can I ask you guys just to quiet yourself before God? Would you do this? Would you maybe shut your Bible, shut off your phone, put your stuff away? Would you just, everyone, would you just bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me? You're just, just in the quietness of this moment. And would you just take this space to just talk to God about what you've just heard from his word? I know for some of you, maybe you've never prayed in your life, but I'm asking you, would you just talk to God right now? And in the quietness of this space, can I just ask you, would you just, from your heart to God's heart, would you just thank him? Thank him for all that he's done for us in this great humbling of himself for our sake. Would you just express thanks to him? Would you do this? In this moment right now, would you ask God through his Holy Spirit to bring to your mind names of people that maybe you need to love in this kind of way? Are there relationships where you need, you need to show humility in those relationships? Are there areas where you need to let go of pride? Would you just ask God if he would maybe show that to you, reveal names to you, in your life who you need to show this love to? Would you ask God to do that right now? God that maybe he would give you the 
wisdom and the strength to know how to love in those circumstances. Would you ask him for that? But Jesus, we know, we know we can't do this on our own. We're not capable. We don't have it in ourselves to love this way. But Jesus, when we receive the love that you have for us, it transforms us. It can overflow out of us into the lives of others. Thank you for your great humility. Thank you for being a God who, who lays aside your rights to serve in humility, to sacrifice of yourself so that we could be free. And Lord, I pray that that same mindset, that same attitude, that same way of thinking would be what defines our relationships around us. God, we need you desperately. I pray that you change us from the inside out, that we might look more like you as we pursue you together. So as we sing these songs, I pray that the lyrics that we sing would be more than lyrics, but they'd be our very prayers to you. We ask these things in Christ's name.